We pick up our series in John chapter 15, <laughs> as we established here, and we're, we're still at nearly the same spot in the story, right? We're here in the upper room, and we're going to remain here for a while longer as, as John, the apostle who's our author here, he included this very long discourse of Jesus on the night he was betrayed. From chapter 13, where we had the, the washing of the disciples' feet, all the way through till chapter 18, where G- Judas comes back with the guards, we have Jesus teaching his disciples in that, that last hour, as we'll call it. And Jesus has comforted his disciples by promising them another helper who would come when he is going to depart. And he assures his anxious disciples that is, it is in their best interest that Jesus goes to the Father. Now, if you can recall last week's sermon, if you were here, uh, we're in chapter 15. There was a metaphor about the vine and the branches, and that's uh, significant in our text as well today. And we're only going through a few verses here, so we're only progressing a small amount in the text. Uh, but there's magnificent truths here in, that we want to uh, linger over. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like, oh, this progress is slow, or only three verses, instead of thinking of progress in terms of text covered, uh, think in terms of content covered. We're not going slow just for the sake of going slow. Uh, rather, there's so much gold to mine here uh, in these texts that it would be a shame to just walk by and pick up a few loose rocks of gold and hope that we'll find more uh, somewhere down the road. And to use the forest analogy, the, the forest and the trees, uh, while we stop here and we're going to examine you know, a single tree, so to speak, let's also remember where we are in the forest. Now, Jesus is with his disciples on that final evening before the crucifixion where he's comforting them and giving them some final instructions on how they are to live when he leaves them. So may we earnestly and diligently seek to know our Lord who has revealed himself in these words. So I invite you to bow with me. Let's ask God for his blessing. Father, we come to your word uh, with eager expectation. Uh, We know you you have spoken. You have given us many mighty truths, uh, great things that will comfort us and encourage us and challenge us and exhort us. So we pray your spirit would be working uh, within us all to do those things. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly, that my words would be understood by the people. Help them to listen. Lord, may your spirit be uh, working in me as the speaker and them as the listeners. May you accomplish all you desire to accomplish this morning uh, through your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's recall that image of the vine. Right, We're in this metaphor of the vine and the branches. In the Old Testament, uh, God refers to Israel as his vine that he planted. And now Jesus fulfills this metaphor and he clarifies it and he says, I am the true vine. So no longer is the question whether someone is in the vineyard of Israel, but rather the question is, are you connected to the true vine? Are you connected to Jesus? We are the branches, he is the vine. Verses 1 to 8 in John 15 establish that those connected to Christ will abide or remain in his love. And those who are not will be removed They will be cut off and eventually cast into the fire. Now, the key word, both in those verses and today, is abide. We need to know, what what does abide mean? There's a few synonyms. It means to remain, 
It means to stay, to reside within, to persevere in. So abiding in Christ is remaining attached to the vine, continuing to rely on him, remaining in him. Now, as we begin in verse 9, let us notice that Jesus is not talking to the whole world indiscriminately. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to his disciples. And by extension, his words affect all those in the future ages who are attached to that same vine. And that is Christians who confess and believe in Jesus and who demonstrate their faithfulness by bearing fruit. And so for anyone here who does not bear fruit, who does not obey Christ, who is rejecting Christ in thought, word, and deed, these words are not meant to give you comfort, for they do not apply to you, as will be made clear when we understand their meaning. And may the Lord grant that any here today in that state would not remain there, but that they would see it and repent of their rejection of Christ and embrace him as Lord and Savior. But for those of us who are in fellowship with Christ, and who are in the process of of proving their faith by their fruit, this passage is a great comfort, and yet it's also an exhortation. Now, lest you put yourself in the wrong category, let's, let's try and review and judge ourselves properly. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, we need to remember that bearing fruit does not mean that you have ceased from sin. Bearing fruit does not mean that you must be better than all those around you. And bearing fruit does not mean you do everything in your life for God and nothing selfishly. Rather, let's think of it this way. Bearing fruit begins and continues through repentance. Are you repentant? To repent means to turn away from sin and to seek holiness. Therefore, if you look at your life, it should look different than it did six months ago. It should look different than it was two years ago or five years ago and so on. You should be a little better at fighting sin and obeying the Lord than you used to be. Your attitude should be more self-controlled, more godly than it was in the past. Now, there are times of of backsliding, but if you could chart your overall progress, you should see a trend towards holiness. Now, an immature and weak Christian is still bearing fruit, even though that fruit may be sparse, it may be small. But don't lose heart if if you think that's you. If you you are attached to the vine, your fruit will grow, your fruit will increase. This is all talking about sanctification. That's the process where the Holy Spirit within you molds and shapes you to become more holy, that is more like Jesus, you get better at pleasing God through your life. Now, the person who should question their status with God is the person who thinks, I don't sin. Or the person who does not care at all about their sin. And so if you are concerned about your sins, then take comfort. That is a grace of God, a grace from the Spirit that causes you to be concerned about your sin. And the Spirit uses that concern to motivate you to holiness. God uses 
guilt in our lives, the right kind of guilt, which leads us to repentance. So again, I encourage you, judge yourself rightly, not by comparing yourself to others, but through that lens of repentance. Now, what, what is the comfort here available in this text? Well, this is a blessing both to the mature and also to the young and inexperienced believer. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Now, there's some, some basic logic here. The Father loves Christ, and in that same way, Jesus loves his disciples. And that is, by extension, Jesus loves his people. Jesus loves those who are attached to the vine. Now we know that the Father loves Christ with an infinite secret love. It is a love which runs deep. It is enduring. It is personal. It's intelligent. It's pure, wholehearted, and eternal. And though our our minds can't comprehend this fully, uh, we should still try and stretch our minds to grasp the best sort of love that we can fathom. And this love that exists between the Father and the Son is extended to the people of God, those whom the Father gave to the Son to be his treasured possession. Now, we read uh, part of this in our our, our reading of 1 John. Uh, The love of Christ is demonstrated to his people in many ways, but chiefly, in Christ coming down to earth, right? humbling himself by putting on the flesh of man and going to the cross to die uh, for his church. And this is the purest picture of love that we have. And uh, it talks about this also in next week. We'll consider this in verse 13. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Indeed, when Christ said those words, He was about to do that very thing. There is no greater love than that which exists between father and son. And so we can also say that there is no greater love than exists between Christ and his blood-bought people of the church. Brothers and sisters, keep that in mind. Christ has laid down his life for you. Christ loves you with an enduring love that cannot be separated by anything. And this love is the most satisfying and peace-giving and soul-warming love that we can experience. So, we have this picture of love in our minds. Well, let's listen to what Jesus says next. It's the only command in today's passage. He says, abide in my love. Abide, that's the command. Now, this is not a, a stern command, but I see it as an invitation given in love. Right? Christ means for us to enjoy continually the love that he has available for us, and he warns us not to deprive ourselves of it. Now think of the best types of earthly love that we have. Well, we have, we have marriage, we have parental love, or the, the love of best friends, brothers. Well, Christ's love is far better, and he says, abide in my love, right? Remain in my love. You'd think this would be an easy command to obey, right? There's so much comfort and joy that awaits those who would embrace Christ's love. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, how does this work? 
Christ says, as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now, if Christ loves us with this awesome love, why does he then right away command for us to abide in it as if it's conditional upon us? Well, I think there's this dual nature of Christ's love. In one sense, he loves us unconditionally, right? He died for us while we were still his enemies. And yet in another, he commands us, we see there's this opportunity to remain in his love. And in turn, there's the warning to not deprive ourselves of his continued love. I see this similarly to how Christ, through the gospel, saves us apart from works, and yet we are commanded to be a people zealous for good works, right? He loves us, and yet he commands us to remain in his love. Now, I think we all know why intuitively, because we've all experienced seasons of dryness, seasons of apathy. We know the love of Christ is sweeter than all the riches of the world, and yet sometimes we lack this deep-seated comfort that his love brings We don't always feel like we live in this beautiful, perfect love of Christ. So why? Why is this? I'm sure we all want to abide in Christ's love. It's a very natural desire of humans. And yet, how often do we feel that distance between ourselves and the love of Christ? Perhaps we even doubt his love for us. So why do our hearts doubt this love? Why do we lack that fullness of joy and peace that comes from being known and loved by God? I think the question at the bottom of it is this. Is it actually possible to truly abide in Christ's love? Well, I believe that if Christ commanded it, surely he will grant it to those who seek it, to those who ask him. Remember in verse verse 7, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever, it w- whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Christ will gladly answer the prayer that is in obedience to his words. So ask him. Now let's continue on in verse 10 and we'll find uh, the key to abiding in the love of Christ. Verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, on the surface, it may seem a bit anticlimactic. We had this beautiful picture of the love of God in Christ and the love of Christ for his people. And now he says, If you want to remain in my love, it's quite simple keep my commands. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Well, Jesus just closed the door to all forms of counterfeit Christianity, both in his time and and in ours today. He closed the door to those who do not truly love him. He closed the door to anyone who wants a ticket to heaven without loving the Savior who died to purchase it. He closed the door to anyone who wants him as Savior, but rejects him as Lord over their life. 
Jesus requires obedience from his people. And so, back to our prayer, if you're asking him for the joy and, of abiding in his love, you should pray like this. Lord, grant me to keep your commandments so that I might abide in your precious love. Now, Jesus has repeated numerous times before, and he will continue to stress the importance of obedience in the rest of this discourse. I want to consider briefly a few statements of Jesus that we see in his ministry. First of all, just a few verses ahead, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. In Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 7, sorry, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, in John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus requires obedience for his followers. Or to go back to the vine and branches metaphor, the vine requires the branches to be fruitful. I want to look at one more verse here. The Apostle John, uh, so again in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, you can turn there if you'd like, he records Jesus saying something very interesting regarding obedience. John three thirty six. The first time I realized this, it was quite unexpected. Let's see if you catch it. John 3.36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Notice what he did there. He contrasts believing with not obeying. It is not belief and unbelief. It's belief and disobedience. So what can we make of this? Now, we must never take you know, one verse of Scripture and, and then put on the blinders and forget everything else that we know. We know that we are justified or declared righteous before God by faith alone, apart from works. God justifies us freely as a gift, apart from anything that we have done or earned. And yet we must have a place in our theology, our, our understanding of God, for these statements of Jesus. Now I think John wants us to see that disobedience and unbelief go hand in hand. And on the other side, obedience and trust in Christ also go hand in hand. So when we speak of obedience, we must remember that obedience is faith working itself out through love. Obedience is the result of faith which undergirds all the fruitfulness. As Christ says in another place, it's actually in Matthew 7, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And a good tree is the tree that's been changed by God. And a person who trusts in Jesus, that person cannot bear bad fruit. Now, in the similar, uh, the similar metaphor, the vine and the branches, 
if a branch is attached to Christ by faith, that branch will produce good fruit. And if it does not produce fruit, as we read last week, it shows there's not a solid connection to the vine. Right? The vine gives life. The vine gives nourishment to the branches. There are no dead branches that are attached to the vine. Right? Christ saved us from sin and death, and he saved us to a new life that glorifies him through love and obedience. I want to read one more passage uh, from Paul, who's instructing a younger elder, Titus. In Titus chapter 2, he says, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So the salvation that God has brought to his people is a salvation that changes lives. As we saw, it it trains us to renounce the ungodliness and to live godly lives. Christ came to save us from lawlessness and to a life of good works. To use the language of John 3 as our final example here, there is no one who has been born again by the Spirit of God who perseveres in hating God and doing evil. That would be a failure of the Spirit of God in his work to apply the gospel to the heart of that person. No, but rather, when someone is born again, when they're changed by the Holy Spirit, they're changed from the inside out to be continually shaped and molded to love and serve God through a life of faith and repentance. Now, this is a process, but it begins at the new birth. A change has occurred. Newness of life has begun. Now, you may be wondering, why? Why am I laboring to demonstrate the importance of good works? It's because of our passage. I want you to abide in the love of Christ. I want you to know the peace and joy of remaining in his love. And Christ said, to abide in my love, you must obey my commandments. Abiding in the love of Christ is something that we all desire because his love is far better than any other. And he says, to abide in my love, you must keep my commands. It's hard to understand how that relationship works. Right? Keeping commands leads to living and abiding in his love. And abiding in his love is necessary to keep his commands. It's this circle of love and obedience between Christ and his people. Let's try and work it out with that metaphor, the branch and the vine. Well, the branch, it bears fruit only if it's attached to the vine, if it abides in the vine. And the fruit that continues to grow proves that the branch is still attached to the vine. It's its source of life. And since we are the branches, it leaves us with a clear direction for our lives. We must seek to obey Christ's commands in every area of life. 
And this requires a lifetime of diligent work. It's not done overnight. Keeping Christ's commands may be simple to understand, but extremely difficult to carry out. And we know that we can never be perfect this side of eternity. But the closer we are, the more we strive for that, the better it will be, because we will be more and more abiding in his love. So, to the mature believer, or to the child in the faith, to everyone in between, let us firmly fix in our mind the goal. We want to know the love of Christ. We want to abide in the love of Christ, which is more sweet and true than we have before. And now we know the means by which we can attain this goal. If we keep his commands, we will abide in his love. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, and I ask myself too, it's, it's time for reflection. Where are we falling short? We have confessed our sins this morning already. And let us ask, are we abiding in sin rather than in his love? Perhaps there is an area of life that you have not submitted to Christ. Perhaps you are really struggling with a particular sin. Maybe you've been backsliding. Or maybe there's a secret sin in your life that you have always known that you need to clean up, but you've never brought yourself to do it. Use the abiding love of Christ as a motivator. It's available in abundance for those who seek it. Now, if you've been hardened through sin and you have just no idea where you do sin, well, it's easy. Start with the Ten Commandments and don't be content with outward obedience. Christ demands body, mind, soul, and strength obedience. And if you want thorough explanations of the commands and their extent, then check out the Westminster Larger Catechism. But when you have a specific sin or two in mind, it's like, this, this is what I struggle with. Commit yourself now to work on them. These sins are to be slain by the Spirit, by the power of prayer, and through the accountability of fellow believers. I also want to say, don't be discouraged when you have setbacks, but continue to fight Continue to struggle for progress and know that Christ is a merciful and faithful high priest who knows every temptation. He knows every struggle to the fullest extent. He will aid you. And any progress that you make will be from his grace. So pray to him. Ask him persistently to grant you his abiding love and then obey him with eager expectation. And may this be our constant posture as his followers, seeking after his love, seeking to obey his commands, and living with joyful contentment as a result. Now let's carry on uh, in the text, where Christ shows us this same type of relationship between himself and the Father. So he said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, we know that Christ never sinned. He always obeyed perfectly. 
and thus he abides perfectly in the love of the Father. We have seen throughout the Gospel of John that Christ was given a mission from God and that God was well pleased with him. And the obedience of Christ is our model to follow. For in his perfect obedience, he also knew the fullness of the abiding love of the Father. Now, there's a possibility that we're not comforted by this because, well, Jesus was perfect and we're far from perfect. So how can we hope to abide in his love? Well, my brothers and sisters, do not despair. Perfect obedience is not required to know the abiding love of Christ. Christ told this to his disciples. Think of his disciples. And we talked about, about Peter. We talked about all the disciples. They're going to fall away. And Christ's still telling them this, abide in my love. Right? Peter's the one who denied him. Christ knows our frame. He knows the frame of the people he's talking to. He knows our weakness. He knows your weaknesses. And in his mercy, he gives abundantly to those who seek him. So take hope. Christ is merciful. Christ is patient. He will aid you as you seek him. Verse 11, he continues to say, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus gives us another motivator for obedience, fullness of joy. Now the text says, these things, so we just look back, what, what things? We can assume he means what he just spoke about from the beginning of this uh, discourse in chapter 15. So the lesson, as we'll, we'll review, he's teaching his disciples, they must abide in him in order to do anything good, just like a branch must remain in the vine. And those who do abide in him will bear fruit and glorify the Father. And as the branch bears fruit, the vine continues to supply it with nourishment, with food, just like Christ, who gives us his abiding love and joy and peace. Now, the metaphor is perfect to help us understand this relationship between Christ and his church. Right? A branch can never boast to the vine that it produced fruit. Right? It was the vine that gave the branch everything it needed to produce it. And if at any moment the branch was cut off from the vine, the branch would perish. And so it is with us. Every good work, every fruit that we produce is from the source of the vine. And as we produce this fruit, the vine continues to supply us with every need that we have. And in this case, we contemplate the joy that Christ gives. He says he gives his joy to us that ours may be complete or fulfilled. Now, Christ himself is fullness of joy, and he gives it freely to those who abide in him, which in turn is those who obey his commands. I hope we can see from the text that there's an unbreakable connection between Christ's love and his joy and obeying God's commands. And this is something that the world will never understand. 
They will only see God's commands as limiting freedom or taking away fun. And that's because they're deceived by Satan. And Satan has used sin to entice and lead away the ignorant and the immature. Satan promises that sin will bring lasting pleasure. He sows seeds of deceit about God's commands. But the problem is that Satan is a liar. Sin will never bring joy. At best, it gives temporary pleasure. But in the end, it only delivers emptiness and despair. And ultimately, death. The problem with most people, as a famous theologian has said, is that we are too easily satisfied. You may be familiar with this famous quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and immorality and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Brothers and sisters, let us not be the ignorant child. Christ is ready to give us fullness of joy. And he has told us that it comes through abiding within him and bearing fruit. So let us make every effort to attain that joy, that abiding love that Christ offers. I want to close this morning with one more application. We, we talked before about identifying our sin, seeking to mortify or kill it within us. Well, that's only part of the battle. It's really only the beginning. If you think of a branch, it must not only fight off pests and diseases, it must actually draw nourishment. It must draw food from the vine. And likewise, we must not only kill our sin, we must pursue our Lord. Repentance turns away from sin and turns towards God. So let us hunger and thirst for righteousness, for then we shall be filled. Remember the image of the vine and the branch in your mind and ask, what's the relationship between the health of the branch and the nourishment that it draws from the vine? I'm not a statistics professional, but I think it's one-to-one. A branch is only as healthy as the food that it receives from the vine. And our spiritual life works the exact same way. A Christian is only as healthy as the food he or she receives from the source, which is the Word of God. Now, if you only have a meal once a week on Sunday morning, you're going to be pretty hungry the rest of the week. And you will likely not experience much of the abiding love of Christ and the fullness of joy that he offers. Those blessings come as we feast at his table regularly. God has prepared an abundant feast ready to be enjoyed by all who partake. And so if we want to enjoy the blessings of God, then we must eat the food that he has given. And again, it's simple to understand. But because of sin and the earthly desires of our flesh, 
it's difficult to execute. Right? Satan would have us believe that God's food is poison and that the true food is found through sin and rebellion. But of course, he lies. So don't believe him. Eat at God's table. Pursue God daily through his word in prayer, in thankfulness, in song, in service of others, in faithfulness in your marriage, in contentment through suffering, and through the fellowship and comfort of his people. Yes, it is that simple. Persevere in the commandments of God because you are seeking to abide in his love. And in return, you will experience fullness of joy and you will have the peace of Christ within you. Brothers and sisters, do not deprive yourself of those great blessings by failing to seek him. Do not be deceived by the enemy. Hear the Lord Jesus speak. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a word of exhortation we have had. We long to abide in your love, so help us. We can't do this on our own strength. Lord, we struggle in many ways to obey, and our sin in the world often deceive us into thinking that their ways will give us more joy and more peace. So we ask that you would grant us a deep trust in your word, that we would be motivated to obey you. You have loved us with an enduring love, causing us to believe in you, and thus saving us from ourselves and saving us from Satan. And Lord, may you cause us now to be a fruitful people. Lord, we know that obedience does not earn your love, and yet abiding in your love comes through obedience. Help us to understand this properly, that we might be assured of your grace apart from our works, and that we, that we might also be zealous to live for you as Lord over every area of our lives. We thank you and praise you for your instruction. Now please grant all that you command, O Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.